Time once again for Second Helping, the podcast of choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the On3 Network, back with you alongside my great friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Beard, longtime college football analyst, most recently and currently for First Coast News down in Jacksonville, Florida. Brent, of course, also a voter for the most prestigious honor in all of collegiate athletics, the Heisman Trophy. And Brent, it's already here. Week four of SEC football action. Week five, actually, I guess, for Vanderbilt. But uh, no shortage of topics as we review, as we preview. And once again, not exactly a statement-making week for the SEC in week three. I don't remember, Trav, in a long time when the league has struggled this early uh, in September, but they, uh, and even, I mean, obviously Alabama with a loss to Texas, and even Georgia, that is, that, that let's be honest, and I think they're bored, but uh, has struggled to a degree. And you've got some other surprises. I, I will talk about it as it goes, but I was in the in the swamp Saturday night covering Florida and Tennessee and a surprising outcome. So, uh, Trev, I think the month of September, uh, the word surprising might fit real well for the SEC. How quickly narratives can shift in the course of 60 minutes, and that certainly was the case in Gainesville Saturday night. We'll get into more of Florida and Tennessee as we move through this week's games, and we'll start this week with that early window, noon Eastern, Auburn coming off a win over FCS Sanford. I'd say Peyton Thorne did what he needed to do first and foremost for Mm -hmm. Auburn at the quarterback position, especially after the offensive performance for the Tigers out at Cal. So it sets up a 3-0 Auburn team taking on a Texas A&M team. You touched on this last week. Was expected to be a feel-good, a get-right game for the Aggies at home against Louisiana Monroe. It played out that way. Looked like A&M was able to sit one or more of its biggest stars. Evan Stewart didn't go in that game for the Aggies. But let's start with Auburn. Here they are, 3-0. and And position to maybe go into college station and and get conference playoff to a a strong start yeah and they're looking to go four no for the first time since 2019 the two quarterback system with peyton thorne and robbie ashford are is still uh alive and well and this time it was thorne who ran for over 100 yards so they are having some success uh, with that, uh, the uh, not only did Evan Stewart uh, get uh, stung with an injury, but Noah Thomas also left the game with an injury. So uh, hopefully those guys will be back. Connor Weekman uh, last week, oh, 25 of 29 for 337. That's going to look good, uh, frankly, against uh, anybody. Still some puzzling uh, results, Trout, from this A&M defense that they thought would be uh, uh, better uh, that through three games, uh, the uh, Aggies allowing over 200 yards uh, passing per game uh, so that they've got a lot of work done to to do uh, with that. But, yes, 
certainly a fascinating game. And and look again, uh, <laughs> as you've taught me over the years, sometimes coaches play with house money, uh, and and right now Hugh Freeze is doing that. Uh, but Trav, the last thing that uh, that Jimbo needs is for Hugh to come in there and come away with a W and put more pressure on him. Yeah, if you're an A&M fan, your expectation at this point for sure is to be in that mix with Alabama and LSU at the top of the West. Not losing at home to a rebuilding, once again, Auburn team with a first-year head coach. So, absolutely, this is another critical game. It seems like we say that every week for Jimbo. I think that it matches up well for A&M because Auburn's strength on offense is going to be to run the football. And you said it, A&M's back end has been pretty horrible to this point. So perhaps that won't be revealed as much for the Texas A&M defense in this one. I do, I've said it before, Auburn's corners are high level performers. Um, And so you like that for Auburn, especially with those A&M wide receivers. Again, you expect Stewart to be back. And it was also important, I think, Brent, for Anaya Smith to have the kind of game he had last weekend uh, for A&M against ULM. So I like A&M in the game, but it won't surprise me if it's close, Brent. No, no, not at all. And, and Trav, to your point about Anaya Smith, the, the reason you want him going on all cylinders is how he can hurt you in the return game as much as he can uh, catching passes. Absolutely. He can do it in a couple of different ways. Anaya Smith, of course, coming off that tough injury from a year ago. Also at noon Eastern on Saturday, Kentucky travels to Nashville to take on a 2-2 two and two Vanderbilt team that, frankly, has to be disappointed at 2-2, two and two, considering that it is coming off a loss out in Vegas to UNLV. Uh, Ray Davis going back to Vanderbilt, yeah. this time as a member of the Kentucky Wildcats as UK's leading rusher. Devin Leary continues to put up some nice numbers against inferior competition. We kind of thought this would be a measuring stick game of sorts for UK, and maybe it still will be, but more so, again, the lackluster play of Vanderbilt is something I didn't quite expect four games into the season. Yeah, and unfortunately, they lost a game. Uh, Trent, they should have won at Wake, and they should have won at UNLV, but uh, unfortunately, that did not happen, losing a late game. Oh, my goodness. Talk about Ray Davis leaving. Uh, you've got a situation where uh, Vanderbilt right now averaging 111 yards rushing per game. So, boy, that's a tough place to be in. I, I, I think the thing that's got my attention, Travis, for for Kentucky and I'm sure there are various reasons for this right now. Would we? What we thought this offense would be much better, and I think they've probably been efficient. They just haven't had the ball very much. Kentucky right now averaging 51 offensive plays per game. 132 in the nation is where they're ranked. Uh, uh, Trap, you if you're averaging that. You've, you've really got to take advantage of the times when you get the ball. So I, I know there are a bunch of reasons for that. And, and I do wonder a little bit, these new rules, how that has affected that. But man alive, uh, Trav, Kentucky, probably some seasons 
had 51 offensive plays in halftime, much less at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, Kentucky's not known for going turbo, uh, mock speed on offense in terms of pace, but you're right. That is a low number of uh, plays. Now, if you're hitting a lot of explosives, that could explain part of that. And Devin Leary is averaging nine yards per attempt, so that's a healthy number. Yeah, That's a good indicator for Kentucky on the offensive side of the ball at this point in the season. So uh, I like Kentucky at Vanderbilt. Uh, again, another game that could be tight, but um, I think that's more dependent on Kentucky than even the Commodores at this point. And, of course, A.J. Swan and those receivers of his, Will Shepard and some other guys that he has to work with, I think give Vandy a puncher's chance. But just in terms of overall quality of roster and sort of what we've seen from Kentucky to this point, hard to go against the Wildcats. Yeah, I agree with that. And, Trev, a big game next week for Kentucky and Florida. Florida goes to Lexington, where they dominated for years, but not so much over the last handful of years. Now, 4 o'clock Eastern, excuse me, 3.30 Eastern. I'm not going to jump this one. Ole Miss and Alabama and Tuscaloosa, a battle of two top 15 teams. Newsy from that perspective, Brent, in that Alabama's ranked 13th in the country. Uh, that's uh, that's an yeah. eye opener, given the success Alabama has had and that lengthy run that the Crimson Tide has had under Nick Saban in the top ten. Yeah, after a, a even though it was a win and and it, you never turned down a win, it, it was a very difficult and very hard performance uh, against South Florida. Alabama kind of uh, 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 righted the ship at the end. Were able to. Uh, uh, run the ball uh, with some efficiency. That made a big difference, but uh, they are uh, 126 right now in uh, uh, as far as sacks allowed, and, and that's something that has got to change. I know you've written about the, uh, uh, the injuries, particularly on the offensive and defensive line. That's going to have to have some work. Uh, Jalen Milrow back at quarterback. How long will that be at this time? The defense was better with with Deontay Lawson and Dallas Turner creating some turnovers. And I think, frankly, Travis, for Ole Miss, you've got Jackson Dart, um, one of the more efficient quarterbacks, maybe the best quarterback in the league right now, which will be a, a, a real test for this Alabama defense. But I think injuries have a lot to do. How much of of uh, Quinshawn Junkins are we going to see? Trey Harris at wide receiver. Uh, the if uh, uh, for how quickly they can get those folks back. But and obviously the Pete Golding uh, part of this game will be fascinating. Uh, also, but seeing a lot more people believing that Ole Miss can win this game than we have seen in quite some time in this series. Yeah, and I think that starts up front. You know, when Ole Miss mm-hmm. looks at Alabama with the issues, especially that the Crimson Tide has had on the offensive side of the ball, it feels more than ever as if it can finish the deal. And that's wow. before you take the quarterback matchup really? into account. So, you know, Ole Miss feels good about Jackson Dart uh, with Jalen Milrow on the other side for Alabama. And Dart, as you said, has been absolutely tremendous he's averaging 12 and a half yards per pass attempt wow not per completion and he also leads the rebels in rushing at this point had a big game on the ground 
and through the year against Georgia Tech last week. Boy, you'd think about transfer portal additions and how much they impact teams these days. And Ole Miss is a prime example of that because Jackson Dart, Michael Trigg, Rebels hope to get Caden Prescorn on the field this week. The Memphis transfer at tight end, Trey Harris, who you talked about. We haven't even seen Zachary Franklin either. Yeah. He's had an injury. The UTSA transfer. Uh, Jordan Watkins a couple of years ago coming in from Louisville. Dayton Wade a couple of years ago coming in from Western Kentucky. Man. Uh, it's been all portal, basically, for Ole Miss at those skill positions. And they're hoping that they can hold up well enough up front to allow those guys, especially if a couple of them make their season debuts this season, uh, can help Lane get over the hump against his old boss. And I think that Ole Miss fan base, by the way, is looking at Lane as if, okay, <laughs> Alabama looks to be on a tee for you here, Lane. The game is in Tuscaloosa. Okay, we understand that. But it either is going to happen now or maybe it's not going to happen for Lane Kiffin against Nick Saban. Uh, yeah, and you mentioned the transfers. Uh, most of those on offense – they had a good probably dozen on defense. Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste from UCF had a really good game last week. So point point well taken. Uh, Lane is trying to make a, a weakness on defense into a strength. But, yeah, I, I had to talk with a friend who's an Ole Miss beat writer this week. He has predicted Ole Miss by – by 10 at this point. So uh, no no question the expectation with Ole Miss fans uh, thinking if, if they could win this game. Uh, and, Trav, if they do, uh, that Western division truly would be up for grabs. I still think probably right now LSU may be the best team in the West, but uh, far, far from any answers at this point. Yeah, I think Ole Miss people look at this game and think, hey, this is like Texas and Alabama. And I think yeah. it has a similar feel, no doubt. But then I think about Texas front seven compared to Ole Miss's front yes. seven. And I know, as you outlined, Ole Miss has done some things via the transfer portal to sort of augment that situation. But Texas had a high, high level front seven. So we'll see if Ole Miss can sort of match up. In Alabama, we know after the way it finished the game at South Florida with Roy Dell Williams having so much success on the ground, that is certainly going to be, you would think anyway, uh, the approach to start Saturday's game with the Rebels. I like Alabama in the game. I, I won't be surprised, though, if Ole Miss wins the game. Uh, a lot of it will have to do, again, with Alabama's lines of scrimmage. Uh, and then from there, can Jalen Milrow produce the explosive plays that I think are a big reason why he's back in that spot yes. while also avoiding the fundamental mistakes that we saw from him against Texas. 4 p.m. Eastern on Saturday on the SEC Network, it is a recovering, a limping Tennessee team after that loss on the road, the latest loss in the swamp for the Tennessee Vols last Saturday night. As Brent told you, he was on hand. Uh, Tennessee, like Florida, I guess, dealing with some player suspensions uh, that, that came about as some uh, things happened, unfolded there late in that contest in Gainesville. UTSA, the opponent at one and two. Uh, the Joe Milton watch seems to be uh, ever ongoing, I guess, as far as his viability as a true successor to Hendon Hooker. In this offense, I mean, Jalen Wright, my guy, continues to do some good things. Jabari Small, the run game, but just inconsistency on offense and really just how that offense is being 
administered, right? How it's being managed. Yes. I think both from the sideline to the quarterback, they're they're having troubles, it seems like. Yeah, and they are. And, and Trav, that was no fluke. I'm sure Pumps was pleased, to say the least. Uh, but Tennessee really was overwhelmed. That, that, that game, in some ways, well, I think mentally was probably over at halftime. Uh, with, with Florida had a great game plan, but and there were questions this week about the to the in, Tennessee offensive staff. Should you have switched quarterbacks uh, to Nicole Amaliva uh, rather than Joe Milton? And the staff said no. Uh, said that Milton is ho- operating on a really high level. I think there's some Tennessee fans who probably would disagree with that <laughs> one, uh, to say the least. But, Trev, here's the reality, too. Uh, Florida and their defensive line was caving in that Tennessee offensive line, uh, and the, the, that was a real issue uh, with this, too. I thought this game would be a real trap game uh, for Tennessee now, Frank Harris plays the quarterback at UTSA, who is really good. Uh, that can make a big difference. But this is a get well uh, and also a character game for Tennessee with SEC play going back uh, next week. But it, it, it really kind of puts them in the spotlight, Trav, of this team, as many predicted, taking a step back. Uh, from the uh, from the year they had last year, where they were in the top ten most of the season. And speaking of those Florida Gators, seven o'clock Eastern on Saturday night, SEC Network Plus, ESPN Network Plus, the Gators, fresh off that impressive victory over the Vols, hosting Charlotte, uh, like Tennessee. We talked about. It looks like the Gators dealing with some suspensions. Fortunately for both those teams, they get very winnable non-conference matchups uh, following last Saturday night. But you said it, man, just kind of what I could see of that game Saturday night. Florida just took care of business in the trenches. That was the blueprint game, I thought, for how Billy Napier expects to not only win games, but maybe championships with Florida. The way that Florida methodically took apart the balls, and a lot of it, of course, had to do with Trevor Etienne, played tremendously, uh, one of the very best backs in all of college football right now. you got a duo there that can go with any duo in college football, but at the point of attack, the lines of scrimmage, uh, that was a much better effort from the Gators than what we saw a couple weeks earlier out at Utah. Well, and you and I have talked for years how important it is for teams to play within themselves uh, and do what they do best. And, and this is re- really what happened. Uh, when Florida runs twice as much or more than they throw, uh, they're going to be a better football team. And look, Graham Mertz, uh, 75% completion rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's run the ball a little bit. That that has helped them. Uh, uh, look, Trevor Etienne has been incredible, uh, 172 yards uh, and that they were able to run when they wanted to run the ball, and that was important. They do have some injuries. Eugene Wilson may end up being a superstar for them before it's over. They do need to get Kingsley Aguakin from Jacksonville back uh, as their center. This game is now sold out uh, against Charlotte, who, by the way, Will Healy coached his team in Charlotte years ago, and they looked – 
uh, kind of promising during that time. But Trent, the, the thing I would really mention that 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 to me has been impressive is what Austin Armstrong has done with this defense. I mean, they're ranked 10th right now. Total defense held Utah to 270. Uh, that they that that they held uh, McNeese State to barely over 100. Did the uh, did a great job against Tennessee. And, and right now, uh, you're spot on with that. They did everything uh, within their limitations uh, to be able to win that game. And um, uh, Billy Napier told us uh, after it was over, they, they don't have the depth right now to keep their foot on the pedal. So they had to lean on that defense in the second half, and it certainly worked out. Yeah, and special teams didn't kill them. You know, right. that, if you're Florida right now, you'll just take any game in which your special teams don't hurt you. Um, really? Because we've certainly seen that during the early stages of the Billy Napier era. Seven o'clock Eastern on Saturday night, ESPN, Arkansas coming off a tough loss at home to BYU. Now the Hogs get a trip to LSU, take on an LSU team. Playing at a high level the last couple of weeks, and especially in that win over Mississippi State, early kickoff didn't bother LSU or didn't bother Malik Neighbors at all. I talked about this last week. I didn't like the matchup for Mississippi State on the back end against these LSU receivers. Yeah. And LSU took full advantage of that. What a performance by Jaden Daniels and specifically Malik Neighbors, but the passing game in general. Well, uh, look, uh, even though uh, Florida State overwhelmed LSU in the second half in that opener, you could tell this is an incredibly talented team. This is a bad matchup for Arkansas on a lot of levels. I mean, my goodness, in that BYU loss, K.J. Jefferson got sacked four times, uh, and it felt like it was a lot more than that. Um, Harold Perkins just went wild against Mississippi State, uh, Malik Neighbors, uh, and Jaden Daniels. And that, that connection was uh, truly, really special. And frankly, LSU comes out of that game also behind Logan Diggs at running back, who the Notre Dame transfer, who has been very, very impressive to this point, uh, also. Uh, but, and, and Travis, this is. This is mystifying here, and certainly our thoughts and prayers go out to Greg Brooks, the LSU DB, emergency surgery a few days ago for a brain tumor, and they're awaiting the the biopsy. Uh, Brooks uh, has certainly played a good bit, or uh, I I don't think some people would uh, uh, say that he's necessarily starting all that much, but he's made a difference in that secondary Hopefully he will get back, but boy, oh boy, uh, we we have seen some bizarre things, Trav, medically and injury-wise. Uh, I, I think I think some of that goes along hand in hand with that word we used, surprising earlier a few minutes ago. Yeah, Arkansas's offensive line surprising because if you're an Arkansas fan, you're thinking, what is the background of our head coach? Really, Sam Pittman. I mean one of the more preeminent offensive line coaches of the last 25 years in college football is Sam Pittman. So to see the Razorbacks struggle like they did up front against BYU and considering what's coming next with LSU in that front seven, uh, not a promising outlook for 
the hogs in this one and that that disenchantment with Sam Pittman not likely to die down after this one on Saturday night in Death Valley. Also Saturday night, 7.30 Eastern ESPN2, Trent Delfer's UAB Blazers making the trip over to Athens, Georgia to take on 3-0 UGA, which came back from a 14-3 deficit at the hands of South Carolina last Saturday afternoon to get the job done. Georgia not showing any signs of panic coming out in the second half and methodically taking apart SC on both sides of the ball. And so, again, a game that figures to be an opportunity for Kirby Smart to rest, maybe recover some guys like Lad McConkey, who we've yet to see this season, while also playing more guys down the roster. In uh, the injury situation is almost becoming uh, ridiculous at Georgia. Their athletic trainer, Ron Corson, told Kirby Smart this week that uh, we have the longest injury list we've ever had. Hmm. <laughs> uh, Amarius Mills is one of the latest to go out on the offensive line. He's out four to six weeks. Now, look, they've got talent, as we both know, on the offensive line, but that has been an issue. It's either been the offensive line or it has been at uh, running back, uh, and that that those have been a problems. Uh, give South Carolina credit, but Georgia leaned on the and that defense in the second half that basically allowed South Carolina, uh, frankly, much ado about nothing. But the slow starts are a concern. Uh, Carson Beck has been okay, but uh, been pretty solid. Mike Bobo is going to get criticism any trap, no matter what he does. And you wonder kind of now, Dejon Edwards coming back, uh, 21 rushes, 113 yards. That That is a big help. Uh, and, again, Georgia's got a schedule uh, that they would go through. But, but Trav, you really, you really wonder at some point, uh, could this complacency and these injuries – uh, cost the the dogs. I don't think they'll lose a game, but someone could take them into into three and a half quarters uh, and be competitive with them with all this going on. Yeah, I mean now after last Saturday, you start thinking about Florida. You know, Absolutely, if the Gators can maintain some semblance of the roster they have right now. Uh, that the the cocktail party suddenly yes. reemerges as a potentially big game. Uh, as we get into late October, early November. So more so we'll keep an eye on Florida in that regard as much or more than we will Georgia. But uh, again, those narratives, they change week to week, no doubt about that. 7.30 Eastern also on Saturday night, ESPNU. This is a game we talked about in the preseason. I talked about this game as the most important game on Missouri's schedule. And that's the game in St. Louis taking on Memphis, 3-0 and Memphis of Ryan Silverfield, another one of those Jacksonville guys at the bowl school down in Jacksonville, now the head coach at Memphis, Missouri. How about that finish, boy? Uh, <laughs> thank goodness for Harrison Mevis really? in that right leg because some wrongs were made right with that 61-yarder to win it. I, I think the uh, – uh, hey, Trav, uh, I know Eli Drinkwist was very happy about the win, but Trev, was he happier about the win 
or, or that Mevis bailed him, the coaching staff, out oh, exactly. at the oh, end yeah. of the game. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, Harrison Mevis, if you want to give people extensions and raises like yeah. Drink got at the end of last season, I, I'd start with Harrison after yes. that kick because he did. Yeah. He, he made a lot of wrongs right with that one. <laughs> a big wrong anyway. Oh, a yeah. very big wrong with oh, the penalty yeah. late. And and how about Brady Cook being booed uh, at home? And he's playing hurt. You know, Absolutely. Playing through a knee injury. Yeah. Yeah. Only, Trap only had 356 yards passing and two touchdowns. That's a perfect example of the backup being very popular. Yes. Uh, with the fan base. And so now, though, yeah, th- this may be a game where if Brady Cook can't play and – it, the game's either especially tight or Memphis even wins. That's about the only way you may shut some of those people up. Uh, right. Is if right. you don't have them in a very closer than comfort win or an outright loss to a group of five opponent. Uh, and Trev, how impressed are you with the Luther burden? Uh, I mean, seven catches, 114 yards. Uh, they, they need about three more Luther burdens, but he's keeping them going right now. He's everything he was billed to be as a five-star recruit. Been anticipating this guy for a couple of years and wasn't bad a year ago, but you had Dom Lovett kind of leading the way for Missouri uh, in that receiving core. But now it's very much about Luther Burden, the third. So 7.30, closing out our previews as we review. Um, Mississippi State coming off that tough home loss to LSU last Saturday, now must travel to take on a South Carolina team you know is very hungry for a win after the uh, encouraging, I'd still say it was an encouraging performance yes. if you're South Carolina yes. uh, in the loss to Georgia. Uh, but similar to the LSU game for Mississippi State, I worry about the back end of the defense for the Bulldogs yeah. because Spencer Rattler and these guys with South Carolina, they're capable of exploiting State in that area too, Brent. Well, they are, and but boy, they had a bad injury with Juice Wells breaking a bone, and he's out for an extended period of time. But they do have Dak Joyner uh, as far as if he can get on the corner, more of a uh, running back, also can catch the ball uh, uh, to uh, Xavier Leggett. Uh, has been able to help, but they need guys badly like Juice Wells. I agree with you on Rattler. I, I think he has played extremely well. Now, what I do want to get into with you is I, I don't think folks thought this would be that much of a big deal, but it really has turned out to be. Um, the, I think there's two things here uh, that, that are surprising. Number one is Mississippi State struggling, as you mentioned, Jane Daniels, 30 of 34, and particularly the back end of that defense, as you mentioned. But but, but the thing that, that that I'm curious about is sometimes these things work, sometimes they don't, but they have shifted from the air raid, where it's a lot of short passes to the backs, to more of a pro-style and Trav, frankly, at this point, as good as Will Rogers is, and I think the whole line has a lot to do with this too, and Kevin Barbet, the offense coordinator, has had a lot of criticism through this. Uh, it, is this transition 
going to be successful by the end of the year because right now it has been a real, real struggle for Will Rogers. It's about as much of a 180 as you can take offensively from Mm -hmm. one scheme to another as you can take. In the offseason, being the old head that I am, the comparison I made was Alabama in 1989 going from Homer Smith and Bill Curry to Gene Stallings in 1990. And Gary Hollinsworth went from, I believe, the SEC Offensive Player of the Year Absolutely. In 89 to going under center and trying to run a, a ground and pound offense that was heavy on play action when it did throw the ball, very limited in its passing game concepts. And you saw that type of result for that 1990. Uh, and I get it. Stallings was trying to change the identity, the culture, everything about the program. And it paid off. Two years later, Alabama wins a national championship. I don't know if we're going to be talking about Mississippi State in those terms, but if you're a state fan, you're going to have to exhibit some patience uh, because this is the way the program is shifting. I mean, you're going from an offense where you really didn't have a tight end mm-hmm. to one where you might need two on the field yeah, together. Right. So these are the type of changes uh, that you're making offensively. I, I think the bigger concern, if I'm a state fan again, is that we got lit up yes. defensively. We're supposed to be – a defensive-based program moving forward. And that still can happen for Zach Carnett, um, but it, it didn't against LSU. And so uh, State could obviously use a win. I don't think they're getting one, though. I think South yeah, Carolina is going to take care of business at home, Brent. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that, too. But, but, but to your point, this is one of those, we call them kind of 50-50 games. They're pivotal in the year, that whoever wins this game uh, really uh, can build on their season. And the loser of this game, uh, I mean, this could make a difference. I know it's early uh, from even going to a bowl game or not. Absolutely. They don't get talked about much once we get into October, November. But typically, you can look back on mid to late September and sort of figure out the difference between four and eight, five and seven, and maybe six and six, seven and five. That's where those games, those losses, those wins typically uh, take place. So Brent, there we go. Complete slate for you of SEC football on tap for Saturday. Anything else before we get out of here? Trav, obviously in in non-conference, Florida State at Clemson is huge. Uh, The Noles have not won there. Uh, and beaten Clemson uh, since 2014, and obviously the big game of the day, Ohio State and Notre Dame going on too. So uh, big, big doings, and and maybe one of the more. Uh, hey, Trev, if you've got two or three TVs, you can drag into the den uh, and and watch. Uh, this would be a good weekend to do that, would it not? You know, the wife. Um she agreed to two 65-inch TVs oh. in the living room that I've had mounted on opposite walls. Wonderful. So now I've got this sort of cavern of, of big screens that I put <laughs> multiple games on, uh, do that both Saturday and Sunday. So I hear you on that. That sounds good to me. Sounds good to me, Brent. As always, appreciate the time. Always appreciate the great insight, Brent. And we look forward to doing it again next week. Me too, pal. Take care. Have a great weekend. For Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here on Second Helping, part of the Belly Up 
Podcast Network. If you haven't subscribed to Second Helping as of yet, we certainly hope you'll do so. Leave us a rating and a review while you're there. That would be greatly beneficial to us, and we would appreciate that as well. Until next time, so long, everybody.